Lord, we love you. We praise you. Holy Spirit, we give you free reign in this service to teach us, instruct us, guide us, direct us. Lord, we, we've sang your praises. We've exalted your name. And Lord, we ask you to move mightily in our hearts. Transform us and change us by the eternal, unchanging, infallible, inerrant, perfect word of God. So Lord, we love you. We ask you to move in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. 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 You may have a seat. How's everybody, how's everybody doing? Everybody ready for Thanksgiving? Good, 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 good. good. We had a great Thanksgiving feast last night. Had some awesome food. And I'm still recovering from all the food I ate last night. <laughs> Please turn in your Bibles this morning to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read to you Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 34, but then I'm only going to teach on one verse because there's so much in this one verse. There's so much to unpack here that um, I, can, I can get through one verse this morning. But trust me, it will be well worth it. It is a feast beyond measure in God's word as we study it. So Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 through 34. The title of my message this morning is Mighty Men of Faith. They lived by faith and they operated by faith. There was never two ways of salvation, okay? The same salvation that we experience in the New Testament is, is or the same way we experience salvation in the New Testament is the same way the Old Testament saints experience salvation in the Old Testament, the scripture says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. There was never two ways. There was never this law and grace. Old Testament, they were under the law. What was the purpose of the law? The law was a schoolmaster. Galatians 3.24 says, to push people to Christ. The law's purpose was to show you that you're condemned, that you're a guilty sinner, and that you need the Lord. So there's never two ways. It's always been one way. In the book of Hebrews, specifically this morning, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, it's really a revival letter. It's a revival chapter to the first century Jews, to the audience who were receiving this book. You see, by the time of Christ, Israel was under bondage. You know what that bondage was? Legalism. Legalism. They were thinking, if I follow God's law, I will be righteous. If I follow God's law and God's law alone, and nothing could be further from the truth. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's taking that first century audience back to the truth, and it's taking us today back to that truth that our foundation is faith. It is faith. Salvation has always been by faith. You and I, we don't trust in our good works. We don't trust in our water baptism. We don't trust in our confirmation. Hear me, hear me clearly. We trust in Christ alone. You trust in Christ alone and you receive righteousness. How beautiful is that? That's awesome. That takes you out of the realm of tradition. That takes you out of the realm of religion and it puts you into a real and living relationship with the Lord. Let me put it to you another way. Very firm and direct and the truth, you come by faith or you don't come at all. That's what the, t the, script the scripture t tells us. 
And what is the evidence of you come by faith and, or don't come at all? The evidence is what we've been looking at this, this, um, these past 16 weeks. The evidence is Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and Rahab. And now this morning, we're going to look at six more evidences of why we come by faith and faith alone. Amen? So y'all ready to get into it? Let's do it. Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to spend uh, pretty much the whole entire service on verse 32. Um, but Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 says, And what more shall I say? I have to stop right there and ask, what is the author saying in this statement? What more shall I say? What he's saying here is, what more can I say to convince you that faith is the only way? That there's no other way to come to God, to come to Christ Jesus, other than faith. There, 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 there's, there's nothing more. The author of Hebrews has been laboring with all these examples. And his point is, if you look at all of the um, individuals in Hebrews chapter 11, there's these words that precede their name. And what is it? By faith. By faith Abel. By faith Enoch. By faith Noah. By faith Abraham. By faith Sarah. By faith Isaac. By faith Jacob. By faith Joseph. By faith Moses. By faith Rahab. Do you see it? By faith. And now he's saying here in this, in this opening portion of verse 32, when he says, what more shall I say? He's like, how many more examples do you need? How many more examples? You know, sometimes, I don't know about you, but me, I'm hard-headed at times. And it takes, it took my parents throughout the early years drilling stuff into my head over and over and over again till I finally get it. And that's what the author of Hebrews is doing, reminding us it's not by works, it's not by our duties, but it's by faith and faith alone in Christ alone. And then he says in verse 32, he says, for time, look at that phrase, guys. In the NASB, at the end of, uh, in verse 32, it says, for time will fail me. What he's saying there is, I don't have enough time to expound on the importance of faith. I don't have enough time to expound on all the individual persons of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And that's why this morning, um, I've never spent this long in a chapter in, in my six years as a pastor. I've never spent this much time in one chapter. Today is, um, this Sunday is a week, is, is the 16th Sunday in Hebrews chapter 11. And the Lord, I didn't read this verse ahead of time, but this is why I believe the Lord led me to say, you know, we get to Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to go into each individual, and I'm going to preach a message on Abel and Enoch and, and, and all the heroes of the faith. Why? Because it's so rich and it's so deep, and we can learn from so many of these guys. So I think next week we should finish up Hebrews chapter 11, and we will have completed it in 17 weeks. But again, uh, I hope you have been blessed by the study of Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Rahab, and all these heroes of the great, because it's been beautiful. So here, this morning, looking at this one verse, look at it in your scriptures, it says, he gives us the first hero of the faith. He says, if I tell of Gideon, who is Gideon? Gideon comes from uh, Judges chapter 7, and he was a judge who led Israel against the Midianite army, but there was a problem. The, the Midianite army had 135,000 troops, and Gideon had 32,000. 
And what we see in Judges chapter 7 is this. The Lord wanted Gideon to not place his faith and trust in his troops, but to place his trust and his faith and his confidence in the Lord. So what does God do? He whittles his 32,000-man army all the way down to 300 men. The odds are not, by the natural mind, the odds are not in favor of Gideon. Gideon has 300 men. The Midianites have 135,000. And it's a very interesting story because it gets very, very interesting. But if you go back and study Judges chapter 7, I'll give you a quick synopsis of what happens. God instructs Gideon to gather, you ready for this? Water pitchers, trumpets, and torches. And then he instructs Gideon and his men to go in the middle of the night and surround the Midianite army while they are sleeping away. Then all at once, at God's command under um, Gideon's leadership, they uh, they smash these uh, pitchers. They light the torches, which I believe were inside the pitchers. And then at his command, they blow 300 trumpets, these 300 men that surrounded the 135,000 uh, uh, Midianite army. They blow the 300 trumpets. The Midianites awake in a panic, and what do they do? They kill each other. They massacre each other. What do we learn from Gideon? What do we learn in 2020 from Gideon? That we don't trust in our own might. We don't trust in our own strength. We don't even trust in our own wisdom. Psalms chapter 20 verse 7 says, Some may trust in horses, some may trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. And that verse that many of us have as a life verse, remember it was written in the Old Testament, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. So that's what we learn from Gideon in Judges chapter 7. We don't trust in our own power, our own might, our military strength, or, or whatever weapons that we have in our arsenal. Not that we're violent people because we're not violent people. But we trust in the name above all names, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He is our strength. He is the one that goes before us. He is the one... God is the mastermind uh, behind the church. He is the one that is pushing the church forward and giving them victory over their enemies. That's what we learn from Gideon. That's what we learn. And Hebrews chapter 11, looking at the big picture, looking at this Gideon in this verse, in this chapter, this is faith. Faith is more than believing. You ready for this? It's trusting. It's trusting. Yes, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Anybody that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who trust in him. But, but faith is, is, is not only we believe in God, but we take it a step further and we trust in him. And that's what Gideon did. And that's what Gideon teaches you and I today. Amen? Amen. The next one is Barak. But who is Barak? Barak is a judge who fought against the Canaanite commander, Sisera. He, but here's the deal. He, was, he didn't have a whole lot of faith, and he needed encouragement. Barak needed encouragement. So what does God do? God sends him a prophetess. 
named Deborah. And Deborah encourages him that he will win the battle. And uh, she not only does Deborah accompany Barak into the battle, but he follows under her leadership in making the calls as they go into the battle. And what happens? They defeat the Canaanites. They, they defeat the Canaanite forces. But there's a very interesting story in, the, uh, in Judges chapter 4 concerning Barak. As they defeated the forces, Barak continued to pursue this commander called Caesarea. But what do we learn? What do we learn from the story of Barak and, and, and Deborah? What do we learn? The, the lesson is Barak routed the enemies with Deborah's help. Deborah, the prophetess, she helped Barak get obtain victory. Today, the body of Christ is made up of men and women. And we need women like Deborah to encourage. We here at Calvary Chapel Irmo, we have awesome ladies serving in leadership roles. And to you ladies, I say to you this morning, you impart great wisdom into our church. And for that, we are very thankful. We cannot do it without the ladies in leadership roles who are committed to the body of Christ. You know, uh, I believe it's Galatians 3.28 says there's neither male nor female, neither Greek nor Jew. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Every single individual, old, young, male, female, we all bring a gift to the body of Christ. And we all have to work together. Amen? That's what we learned. That's what we learned. This is what faith is. Faith, uh, biblical faith today is you and I working together working together for the kingdom of God. And men, people that serve in the body, when you speak, I'm listening. Ladies, as you're serving in the body and you have great ideas and, and thoughts and suggestions, when you speak, I am listening because we're all in this together serving the Lord God Almighty. This is what faith is, is we see each other within the body bringing all our gifts together to serve the Lord. That's what, at least that's what I learned from Barak and, and Deborah. But that's what we learned. That's what we learned from, from Barak is that we are called to work together. We are one body. We, we are together. And we're together with the local churches in the area, serving Christ and building the kingdom. All men, all women, all people. Amen? The next one on the list. Let's look at the next one. The next one. It's Samson. Oh, Samson. Oh, man. You can uh, go back and study Samson in Judges chapter, thir verse, chapter 13, verses chapter 16. But who is this guy? Samson was dedicated from birth as a Nazarite. And he was greatly, greatly, greatly empowered by the Holy Spirit in his ministry. He ripped apart a lion with his bare hands. Not in his own strength, the text says but by the power of the Spirit. He slayed 1,000 Philistines with the jawbone of an ass. He did great and mighty things for the Lord in his life. But, just like you and me, Samson was not perfect. He was not perfect, and he had his flaws. 
There's no such thing as a perfect Christian. You know, we, we all wrestle with our flesh. We all go through struggles. But Samson, women, women were his weakness. After a relentless nagging, he reveals to a woman he had a relationship with by the name of Delilah, the symbol of his uh, great strength, which was his long hair, which came from his Nazarite vow, which came from the Lord. Then as Samson slept on her lap one evening, a servant came and cut off seven locks of hair. And the scripture says that the Lord and his strength departed from him. The Philistines seized him and they gouged out his eyes. They made a public spectacle of Samson in their temple that they created to their false god. But Samson had the final word. Samson had the final word. He prayed one last time for the Lord's strength and power. And he pushed apart the columns, causing the temple to crush all the Philistines and himself. Judges uh, chapter 16 says that in, in that one moment, Samson took out more Philistines than he did in all of his life. So what do we learn? What do we learn? What do we see in the life of Samson that we can apply to our lives today? Number one is when we are focused, when we are focused and in the zone and empowered by the Spirit, you can do great and mighty things for the Lord. When you're focused, you're in the zone, you're yielded to the Spirit, and you're moving forward in the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You can do great and mighty things for the Lord that you would not be able to do in and of yourself if it wasn't but for the Spirit working in your life. I ask you this morning, are you yielded to the Spirit? Do you get up every day and say, Lord, I just recommit myself, I just rededicate myself, I just resubmit myself to the, to the leading of the Holy Spirit today. Lord, help me not to walk into the, in the flesh or walk in my carnal mind, but walk in the Holy Spirit, the walk in the Spirit. Lord, give me your desires. Give me your passion. Let me think on you continually. Let me live for you continually, and let your Spirit move mightily in my life. We also learn from Samson, when we're lazy, when we're lazy in our spiritual disciplines, and we're not focused, what happens? We fall prey to Satan's traps. And that's what Samson did. And when me, you and I are not focused in the zone, yielded to the Spirit, the exact same thing can happen to you and I in different areas of our life, in different areas of our flesh. If we're not yielded and submitted, we can, we will fall. And if you don't believe me, just ask Samson. Just ask Samson. The consequences of his sin were serious. Sin wrecks our lives. Sin wrecks lives. It cost Samson his eyes, number one. It cost Samson his eyes. It cost him being bound, being bound by his enemies, the Philistine. The very people that God had called him to fight against have now got him bound because he was walking in the flesh. And ultimately, the ultimate um, is, is, is he was humiliated in the presence of his enemies and I think, I think it's Dagon. I'm not, I can't remember. I don't have it written down. But I think their, their false god, Dagon, in their temple, they had him bound between two columns. And he was a public spectacle for all the people to see. 
there is a consequence to our actions and, and to our sin. And he was humiliated by his enemies. So what do we do to fight against that? What do we do to keep ourselves from going down the same path as Samson? It's found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, where the apostle says, We are to walk by the Spirit, and you not carry out the desires of the flesh. This is faith. This is faith. This is biblical Christian faith when we say, Lord, I'm going to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. We all wrestle. We've all had seasons of our life where we've blown it and we've failed. But what do we do? We repent and we say, Lord, I resubmit myself. I yield myself to walking in the Spirit and crucifying the desires of the flesh. That is faith. That is faith. And that is what we learn from Samson is is to not give in to our carnal desires, but to yield to the spirit. And understand, man, sin is creeping at the door. And sin's mission is to destroy your life, to steal, kill, and destroy. If Satan can find a way in, he he will look. He will look and he will come in to to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give them life. I've come to give them life. And we have to uh, repent, turn away, and protect and guard ourselves from the things of our flesh and be yielded to the Spirit. That's what we learn from Samson. Let's look at the next guy. The next guy. This is uh, one, two, three. This is number four. Who is Japheth? Japheth was the son of Gilead and a harlot. He was born to a harlot. His father was Gilead. And Japheth did some great and mighty things, but he also had the foot-in-the-mouth syndrome. You know what that is? When you say things you shouldn't say. But Japheth, he routed the Ammonites. And this is in Judges chapter 11. He routed the Ammonites and he destroyed not one, not 10, not 15. But in the name of the Lord, in the power of the Spirit, he destroyed 20 Canaanite cities. Man, you want to talk about a victory? Man, that would be awesome to be him and his army to be moving forward in the power of the Spirit, serving the Lord and they rout the enemies of Israel, the Ammonites, and in the process destroy 20 Canaanite cities. But if you study Japheth any amount of time, you know that that's not the big news about Japheth. Japheth is most well known for the vow he made to the Lord before he went into battle. He goes off to war, God gives him the victory over the Ammonites, and guess who comes out the door when he returns? His daughter. It says his daughter came out with a tambourine and singing and praising the Lord. And the the big question that that surrounds uh, Japheth, and the scripture is is ambiguous about it. It, it, It could go either way. But the question that surrounds Japheth is, what did he do with his daughter? What did he do with his daughter? And if if you read in that chapter in verse 39, it indicates, all it says is this. It says that Japheth followed through with his vow. So what did he do? What did he do is the big question. Scholars and, uh, and most or people are divided. There's two interpretations. I'll give you the two interpretations. The first view is he sacrificed his daughter. He sacrificed his daughter. And those who believe that he sacrificed his daughter uh, look to the fact that he was he was in distress. The distress he experienced 
once he saw her come out the door. It says that he ripped his clothes and he wept. So that indicates that he was like, oh, no, I've got to give up my daughter. I've got to sacrifice her as, 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 as a burnt offering. This is a huge blunder. God very clearly condemns human sacrifice in the Bible. So this wasn't a godly thing. And then other scholars who believe this will also um, point to all the other mistakes that the Old Testament saints made in, in, in the um, Old Testament saints made in the Old Testament. They, they made many mistakes and they blew it along the way. You know, there's no such thing as a perfect saint from the Old Testament. They all had their gaffes. They all had their sins. But that's the first view as he sacrificed his daughter. Um, I will make note, well, the second view. Let me go to the second view. The second view is he gave her as an offering in service to the Lord. That's the second view of what he did with his daughter when he came back. And people that believe that he, uh, he, he gave her into an offering of service to the Lord, they looked at the fact that she spent two months weeping over her virginity rather than her life. So she went to the mountains, the scripture says, and she, she wanted to weep for two months. But it says, but this text clearly says it was over her virginity. And that points to maybe she was going into a life of, of dedicated service. Maybe not quite like the Nazarite vow, but a different type of vow where they would, uh, they would abstain from sexual um, activity and be completely committed to the Lord. Uh, also, another uh, um, support for the view that it was just an offering of service to the Lord is the text does not say he killed her. It does not say that. All it says is that he followed through with his vow. And then also, a third uh, argument for the second view, which is he just gave her as an offering service to the Lord, is if you look in verse 40 of that chapter, it says the women of Israel commemorated her each year. The Hebrew word for commemorate is tanah. It means to recount, to rehearse, to tell again. And what makes it even more difficult is when you look up that word where it's used in other places in Scripture, it some places it refers to a celebration, some places it refers to lamenting. So that makes it even more difficult. That, that, that makes it even more difficult. If it was a sacrifice, it was rash and it was foolish. It was rash and it was foolish on his part. And God had nothing to do with that. Because God clearly condemns that in Scripture. So what do we, but what do we learn? I, I tend to lean towards an offering and service to the Lord. I've, I've read a lot on this, and they're really split right down the middle of the, of the different views. Some believe it was just a stupid mistake, um, a sinful mistake. This is one of those areas where he blew it, and he missed the mark, and he did not do what was right, and he sinned in God's eyes. And then the other view is he, he offered her to the Lord. But what do we learn? What do we learn from Japheth? Great study. And it's interesting that he's just this one little name mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 11. He's mentioned for what? We can't, can't lose sight of that. He's mentioned that she's, he is in the hall of faith. He is in the hall of faith. And what does that teach us? It teaches a couple things. One is God can use us regardless of our past. Remember, Japheth was the son of a harlot, and his father was Gilead. Uh, 
it also teaches us um, that we need to use wisdom with the words that we speak. You know, there's a reason why we have two ears and one mouth. We need to do twice as much listening as we do speaking. We need to be careful with our words. This is faith. This is faith. When faith takes over and you put your trust in the Lord, he begins to work in your life and help you to grow, and he helps you grow in this area of your tongue, of your tongue. Because there's so many times we say things in life that are hurtful, that are sinful, but over time, through growth and sanctification and walking in the Spirit, faith in the Lord, by the power of the Spirit, gives us the ability to contain our tongue. And sometimes the best word to say is no word at all. That's what we learn. That's what we learn from him. That's what we learn from Japheth. The next one in verse 32. My favorite. I wonder why. His name's David. There's so many different areas of faith. Um, of his, you know, there was his fall with Bathsheba, where he, he had her husband killed, and it was a wicked, and it was an evil thing he done. And he wrote Psalms 51 as he repented over his action. Then there was uh, Goliath. There were so many things. So for the sake of um, our time this morning, I chose one. I chose one instance of David, and it comes from 1 Samuel chapter 17. Faith comes in David. It arises in his soul. In the face of his enemy, Goliath, a transformation takes place in David's heart, and faith arises, and, and verse 45 says, Then David said to the Philistine, Whoa, you come to me with a sword, a spear, <coughs> and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. David teaches us that we do not fight our battles with weapons. We don't fight with guns and knives and the weapons of this world. You and I, Christian, we are not violent people. We are not violent people. We fight our battle with a supernatural weapon. And that supernatural weapon is prayer, worship, and the word. We, we, we fight our battle with prayer. We fight our battle with prayer. We pray for our enemies. We love our enemies, and we pray that the Lord opens their eyes. And then finally, uh, the battle is the word, the word of God. We, we saturate our hearts and minds with the word of God. I said finally. This is finally. And finally, because of Hebrews chapter 11, what we're looking at, we have faith in God. That's how we fight our battles. Verse 46 of 1 Samuel 17 says, This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will get and he will give you into our hands. Do you see what the faith 
produced in David's life. In, David, in, in this very moment, not David's life, it produced in this very moment, it produced a confidence. It produced a confidence. And this confidence that David possessed was not in and of himself. It wasn't something that, that was born of his own will or his own heart. It was the Lord. It was the Spirit that gave him confidence. His confidence was not in himself. His confidence was in the Lord. He is saying, uh, David is saying, this little shepherd boy, he is saying this, the Lord will go before me, and the Lord will give me the victory. That is faith. That is confidence in the Lord. And that is the faith that you and I are called to have when we face our enemies, when we face our battles. Some of you guys here, all is well, and I praise the Lord for that. Some of you guys are in a raging battle. Some of you guys are in a raging battle, and you're in a fight for your life. It could be your marriage. It could be your family. It could be your home. It could, it could be a number, a number of things. And my friend, I encourage you and challenge you this morning, man, let faith arise. Let faith arise. Feel, feel your heart. Feel your mind with the word of God. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in worship. And let faith arise. Let faith arise. And let faith in God and the power of the Spirit working in your life lead you to a place of victory. Verse 48, continuing. I love David. We're reading a lot from 1 Samuel 17. It says in verse 48, Then it happened when the Philistines rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle to meet the Philistines. Man, he's not running. He's not standing still. He says, I'm moving forward. I'm moving forward, and I'm going to win this battle. He wasn't running from the battle. He was taking the Lord and his power and his strength to the battle. And David put his hand into his bag and took uh, from it a stone and slung it. And, this, and it struck the Philistine on his forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistines with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistines and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hands. When he uses that, when the author uses that phrase there in verse 50, but there was no sword in David's hands, it was to point to the fact that it wasn't David giving him the victory. It was who? It was the Lord. Why was David? Why was King David victorious? In this situation, because God was with him, and he had faith in God. It was God and God alone who led that stone into the forehead of Goliath. It was God who caused that forehead to sink in with this stone, because God was giving David the victory over Goliath. The enemies of God do not, today, the enemies of God do not stand a chance. They will fall. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. All believers, all unbelievers. The battle is the Lord's. And if you and I stay the course, continue in the Lord, press forward, 
we win some battles, we lose some battles, but we keep going forward, we will arrive at a place of victory over the temptations of the flesh, over the carnal things of this world, if we will only continue. <clears throat> the text says that David went forward. David went forward. And he obtained the victory. Now, if you know anything about David, he didn't always, um, he was not always victorious. We, as we mentioned a while ago, uh, his situation with Bathsheba, he sinned greatly. He sinned greatly and he fell and had the husband murdered and it, it was a train wreck. And that, my friend, is what happens when we're, we're not walking in faith and we're not being led by the Spirit. So we, we, we see, we see uh, sinful, really bad decisions made by King David, but at the same time, we see parts of David's life where he was filled with the Spirit and he walked in faith. These encourage me, family. These encourage me in my walk with Christ, knowing that, that no one is perfect. No one is perfect. No one's got it all together. But when we are yielded, and following the Lord with all of our heart. Victory is in sight. But when we're not walking in the Spirit, and we're not walking in faith, victory is not in sight. That's what I learned from King David anyway, is that looking at his stunning victory over Goliath, is that he won the battle because the Lord was with him. And it wasn't him. Well, it was him. He threw the rock, but it was God who guided that rock to the forehead of Goliath and took out his, his enemies. The final, the final um, hero of the faith that we're, that we're looking at this morning is Samuel. It says there in the text, actually it says, and Samuel and the prophets. We'll get to the prophets in a second, but it says, and Samuel. What's the deal with Samuel? Uh, the passage I, ch I chose for um, Samuel is uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, where it says, Thus Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. All Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. The people, it says, it says that um, they knew Samuel was confirmed. They had witnessed this mighty man of God. Samuel was the last of the judges. What did he do? Who did he anoint? As they, as they moved into the next uh, era of the kings, he anointed the first two kings of Israel, Saul and David. But the thing that we see that, the, that stands out the most as we, as we talk about Hebrews chapter 11 and we talk about faith is three things concerning Samuel, concerning the verses on the screen. One, he was led by the Spirit. He, he, was, he was led by the Spirit at, at this point in his life. He was yielded to the Lord and he was following the Lord wholeheartedly. Number two, he was a man of his word. It says uh, in verse 19, Then Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. I tend to think, maybe, you know, Samuel was, was careful and cautious with his words, probably prayed about the things he told people, sought the Lord, said, Lord, speak through me. Let it not be me, but let it be you operating through me. And that's, that's the life of faith also, is when we, when we get to a point where we say, Lord, let my words that come from my mouth 
be instruments of peace. Let the words that uh, come from my mouth be instruments of love. Let the words of my mouth be words of encouragement. Let the words of, of my mouth be words of truth and, and being solid. So, it's, you know, a life of faith includes how we speak, how we talk, what we say. He says none of his words fail. And he, he lived in as, an, as an example before all of Israel, verse 20 says, from Dan to Beersheba, they knew that he was a prophet of the Lord by the way he lived his life. And then the overarching principle of Samuel that we see in his life that, that, I, that I pull and I walk away with learning from Samuel is this. He was faithful to the Lord. He was faithful to the Lord. And you know, that's what God wants from us. He wants your heart, and he wants your heart to be in a place of being faithful to him. That's what it boils down to, is faithfulness. And our faithfulness to the Lord is based on what? His faithfulness to us. When we see how great God is, how good God is, and how faithful he is to us, oh, man, it just says, Lord, I want to be faithful to you. I want to be faithful in my life to serving you all the days of my life. That's what I see in Samuel. That's what I see in his life. It says, thus Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him. You know, when a person believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, ask him into their life, the Lord is with us. And then we continue to grow in the, in the word, in fellowship, in the spirit. And what happens is you're like a tree. You're like a tree planted by the water. You just begin to grow. And what happens when a tree gets to a certain point? It produces what? It starts with an F. Fruit. Fruit. That's what God wants to do in our lives. That's what God did in Samuel's life. And then he closes there um, at the, at the uh, end of the verse. He says, and the prophets. I love this because what the author is saying, the author in Hebrews chapter 11, he has just given us a one-chapter summary of the entire Old Testament. And he started back with Abel. And he goes through all the saints, all, all the major saints of the Old Testament. And he says, he uses this phrase, and the prophets. What's, he, what's the point he's making when he says those three words, and the prophets? This is what the point is. He's saying that all the Old Testament saints were saved by faith, lived by faith, and served by faith. And then look at, um, not to get too far ahead, but look in your Bibles at, at uh, Hebrews 12.1. We'll, we'll be there in a couple weeks. He, he, he takes it from the Old Testament, and he, he, he puts it on us. Uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since who? We. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This life of faith didn't begin in our lifetime. This life of faith began back at creation. And it's continued throughout all of human history that the people of God served God, not by the law, not by tradition, or not by religion, 
but by faith. That's what I want you to go, that's what I want you to leave here today pondering is God wants you to understand that your relationship with him is based on faith. Faith. On faith. I close this morning with a couple questions and a couple thoughts. Do you have faith? Do you have faith? Are you growing in your faith? Um, are you walking in faith? That's where God wants you. That's where God wants you. Is that we have the faith of these Old Testament saints. Gideon. What do we learn from Gideon? We trust in the Lord. That our belief in the existence of God turns into a trust. And it says, Lord, I'm, I'm trusting you. I'm leaning on you. I'm serving you. Secondly, Barak. What does Barak teach us about faith? Then we work together. Jeanette, Amy, Irene, all the other ladies, all the men, all of us here, Tirza, all you guys, we're in this together. We're working together. And everybody brings a gift to the, to the table to work in the body of Christ. All men, all women, that's faith. Number three, Samson. That's, that's, that's one, man. <laughs> That's the, that's the ongoing battle. But uh, we got to walk in the Spirit. we got to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And everyone, everyone faces that temptation. At least your pastor does. You know, I face the temptations of the flesh. I face the temptation. And in, in that moment when I face those temptations of the flesh, I bow my head and I bow my heart. And I say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I surrender to you. Give me victory over this battle that I'm facing right now. Help me not to walk in the flesh. J-Path, got to be careful with your words. <laughs> got to be careful with your words. You know, I, I've, I've, there's so many things I've said in life, and the words came out my mouth, and I wish I had like a little uh, fishing rod, little, little, I wish I could just reel it back in, and reel those words back in. But unfortunately, that's not possible. That's not possible. Uh, and so we have to be careful with the words that we use. That is faith. What do we learn from King David? The battle is the Lord's. When you face battles, when you face battles in the Christian journey, pilgrims, that you will, you will face battles, but understand this, as you walk in faith and you walk in the spirit, the battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. And then finally from Samuel, what do we learn? Be faithful. Be faithful. Amen? I'm going I'm to pray for these areas in our life this morning. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this day. Father, thank you for your word. God, I, I lift up the body here, and I pray, Lord, that you would um, teach us the life of faith. Teach us to trust in you. Teach us to work together. Teach us to walk in the spirit. Teach us to be careful with our words. Teach us to know that the battle is the Lord's. And Lord, at the end of the day, Lord, teach us to be faithful. In your precious and awesome name we pray, amen.